So I, I um, kind of old-fashioned in that I, I still like to read the newspaper, the actual paper newspaper. Uh, there's so many places to get news on television and uh, apps and websites, and there's, there's tons of ways to get news. But I like, I don't know, some of it's the routine, you know, the man throws it out the window of a car under the driveway and you walk down, I, I go my bare feet in the morning and pick it up. Something about the routine of it, but also good local news and uh, so anyway, I enjoy that. I enjoy the doing the word jumble, too. I don't know why. That, but I think it keeps my brain sharp. But uh, one of the stories I've been following lately in Massachusetts is this vaping ban that the, the governor has enacted and, uh, back, in September, and back, in, yeah, back in September. And, and uh, you know, we have these products, these vaping products that are no longer legal to be sold in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. It, but there's all these little specialty stores and this whole little industry pops up and then overnight it all kind of gets shut down while they're trying to figure out a better regulatory framework for these kind of things. I find the whole thing interesting because these products were marketed as a safer alternative to cigarettes. And for many people, they have, were able to stop smoking cigarettes by using these vaping products. But now we're learning that there are some, there can, there are potentially some pretty severe side effects to uh, these vaping products as well, and there's danger, but there's no real long-term studies that have been done because these are new things. It's a, it's a kind of a new technology, uh, and it's all very fascinating to me because and people have different opinions about the sort of the regulatory and political side of that. But the point is that we use products and we use technologies and and different things in our lives that we don't fully know the side effects of what it is that as we use them. Uh, the classic example is with uh, medications, and you know your your doctor may prescribe you medication, and they say, "Well, here, you know, this will help you." But here's a list of side effects, and they give you a, a three-page pamphlet of all the ways that it could impact your other organs and all the side effects. Then you go pick it up at the pharmacist, and the pharmacist said, "Do you realize there could be side effects of this product?" And and actually, could you please sign here that says you're aware that there's all these side effects, and it's just it, you know. But the reality is. You know, we don't always know uh, the things that we think are benefiting us. Maybe they um, are imp- impacting us in other ways. So today, we're continuing our sermon series uh, through I Love the Bible. Why is it that we love our Bible so much and considering uh, why it is so central and important to us, our life together as a community of faith, uh, but also individually in, in our lives, uh, how the Bible and why the Bible is so important, why we love it so much um, the first week, we talked about why the Bible is, uh, why is this a big deal in the first place. Last week, we talked about the kind of a central message of Scripture pointing us to Jesus Christ, that Jesus said it all testified to him, it's pointing to him. Today, we're asking the question, well, what, is it, what, what can it do, or what can it do to me? What are the side effects of this thing? Because if the Bible is what it claims to be, and what I believe fully, and what we as a community believe fully, is that it is God's word, and that if we know it, if we meditate on it, if we understand it, that it will actually do something. It has the power to do something to us. And I tell you today that this is a spiritual book, and it impacts you spiritually. The Apostle Paul said it like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He said, this is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truth in spiritual words. 
So you can read a book, a good book, and it may inspire you, it may, uh, it may touch you in some way, you might go to a good movie and it might cause you to cry, uh, but fundamentally you aren't changed by those things. But when we claim that the words of Scripture are the very words of God, they have power, and they have power to change a life. So today I want to answer three questions. The first question is, why are these words so powerful? Secondly, are we sure we have the right words? Are we looking at the right words? And lastly, you know, what are they going to do to me? What is the impact of this on, the life, on my life if I look at them? So that's our task this morning. Let's pray as we turn to God's word. Father, you are good. And in your goodness, you've brought us here in this room. And I believe every single person in this room is here for a reason. And, and Lord, you know what that is. And I just pray by the power of your spirit, and your spirit is here, and we acknowledge that, that by the power of your spirit, you will show us your way, that you would show us your heart, and that we would submit ourselves to you and to your word to do your good work. So we give it to you in faith, and we pray in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, our first question is, why are these words so powerful? And we see this right here in our text. All Scripture is God-breathed. The words of Scripture are the very words of God, that God has breathed these words out. Um, one, of, uh, one of the apostles, Peter, who had walked with Jesus, and um, he was, he was um, Considering, he was considering why they have such confidence in their faith in Jesus. And he basically said, you know, two things. One is that this, these aren't clever stories that we came up with. We are just testifying to the things that we saw, that we experienced this, these things. And the second thing that gives us confidence, 2 Peter 1.20 says, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That all the prophecies we we have and all the writings that point us to Jesus Christ, who we've now experienced, who we're writing down the things that we've witnessed, all these things come straight from God. In the Old Testament, if, if a prophet or somebody claimed to be a prophet or if a a true prophet, started saying things that God did not command them to say. The penalty for that was death. That you can't just go around saying, oh, this is what I think God says. No, God speaks through these people. Therefore, God's word is powerful. What God says happens every time. What God wants to accomplish through his word will be done. Uh, Even right from the beginning, nothing exists. And God speaks and boom. There's things exist that God speaks and then life comes to be. And that's the power of God's word. The prophet Isaiah puts it like this in Isaiah chapter 55. It says, As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return empty. But, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. 
In God's word, as he declares things into existence, in God's word written, the scriptures accomplish what he wants them to accomplish because God's word is powerful. It's all God's word. Now you say, someone would say, well, it's also a very human, the Bible is a very human work. It was clearly written by humans in history. We say, yes, that God used responsible humans to speak his word, that what they recorded was what he desired uh, to, for them to write. And it's, it's sort of used the analogy of an architect and a builder. So this building that you're sitting in was uh, designed by a famous architect, a group of architects, McKim, Mead, and White, and they designed Boston Symphony Hall and uh, Boston Public Library. So they designed this building, but they didn't build this building. This building was built by carpenters and brick masons and others, other artisans and other skilled workers who built this thing. So, but it was the design of the architect. And we look at scripture that it's, it's God is the architect. He designs it and the responsible uh, human agents write these things down. And that is because it is... Because God is the author, there's power in that. Which brings us to our second question is, okay, so do we have the right, are these the right words? Do we have the right collection of writings uh, because we're making this huge claim about them? And when I was a, when I was a kid, I had two kind of horrific experiences, and they both happened at church, unfortunately. Um, one was that I got left at church one day, and I had um, three, <laughs> sorry, mom, my mom's here. <laughs> so we had, I had three big sisters and we took, for some reason we took two cars to church that, that day and my dad thought I was with mom and mom thought I was with dad and I just got left at church, little Jonathan walking around, no sisters, no parents and I'm just kind of, uh, and I, I was very sad. It took some time for them to figure out that I wasn't with them. But I've gotten over that. Look at me, mom, I come to church all the time. I, it's all good. It's all healed. Uh, the other one, which was probably even more traumatic, is that uh, it was leaving again at church, leaving church one day and getting in the car, and they had this. Um, my family had this orange, kind of a burnt orange, rust-colored Volvo station wagon. It's like the standard Volvo wagon. Everybody had one back then. Some people still drive them. Frank and I, and um, <laughs> so the I, I go out and I see this orange. Um, the, the Volvo wagon, and I, and I get in, and I look, and it's not my family. It's some other family. And I just started crying, because it was so scary, because I was expecting it to be my family. I got out, and then I, I was on the sidewalk, and I looked two cars down, was our the identical Volvo wagon, and got in, and I was crying, and the family didn't know why I was upset, and it was really upsetting. So, but my point is, um, how do we know we're not mistaken, that these things look like sacred writings and they're good. How do we know we have the right stuff? And for me personally, in my own faith journey, this was a huge issue for me. I never had a problem with the Old Testament, with all the the history of it and all the prophecy and that Jesus comes on the scene and he affirms the Old Testament. He quotes it. I had no problem with the Old Testament. It was the New Testament. Because when Jesus was teaching, there's no record of him saying, "Um, hey, you guys should really write this down. You know, when, when he was given the Sermon on the Mount, he said, hey, this whole salt and light thing, that was a good one. Write that down and copy it carefully and give it to other people because this is good stuff here. Uh, he didn't say that, or I don't, that we know of, he didn't say that. But one thing that Jesus did say that for me as I was, oh, and then there was all these letters and how do we know that that, that was supposed to be 
seen as, as God's word, as, as authoritative teaching. And it all, to me, hinged on this one verse in the Gospel of John, chapter 16, or these verses. Jesus is teaching and he said, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. And all that belongs to the father is mine. And that is why I said the spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. Jesus told his followers, he said, there's more things that need to be taught, but I'm, I can't, you cannot handle it right now. But my Holy Spirit is coming. And when my spirit is with you, then you will teach these things that are from the Father. This is going to be the word of God by his spirit to you. That's why when the apostles taught, it was recognized to have the authority of God's word. Because Jesus said, this is what's going to happen. There's going to be more teaching, and it's going to come through to you through the Spirit. So when we asked, do we have the right books, wasn't this just some sort of nasty conspiracy that there was powerful leaders in the ancient world, and they had all these writings that were perfectly good, and they just chose a few of them? Well, that, the word chose isn't the word that they used. The early Christians said, we've received this. This has been handed down. This is something that we recognize, that Jesus said this teaching was coming. And it's here. And it was recognized very early. <clears throat> now, there was some debate about certain works that extended even into the 4th century. But by the, you know, by the end of the 1st century, these things had been recognized. And they were being used by churches as God's word. Equal authority with the Old Testament. And, uh, so, and they had criteria. Like, these things were written by the apostles or in close association with the apostles. And they're early. There was other works that came out later in the second century and beyond. They said those weren't, that's not from the apostles. We, they, there's these, the, the earliest uh, in the teaching of the apostles. And it lines up. They, they all agree with each other. And it lines up with what we understand from the Old Testament. And that they're used widely. That churches have recognized these things. And it took time to, to collect and say, yes, these are the things. But it was um, well established very early. Then we have the Apostle Paul. He's an interesting case. He said even about himself in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, for I'm the least of the apostles. I do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. He became an apostle. He experienced the risen Christ in a different way than the other apostles. But he knew that he was an apostle. And he knew that the words that he was teaching were the very words of God. He said it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. He said, We also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it. Not as the word of men, but what it actually is, the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. He knew it. And the other apostles affirmed that with him. And then when he's writing to Timothy, um, 2 Timothy 1, in the same letter from our text today, he says, What you heard from me, keep it as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. He said, what I'm teaching you is foundational truth. And again, in chapter 2, he says, uh, the things you heard from me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will, also be able to, uh, who'll be, who will also be qualified to teach others. So that not only is what I'm saying to you true, but you're going to use this as your foundation and you're going to teach it to others. And, and this is good teaching. 
Then one of, one of Jesus' disciples, Peter, who walked with Jesus the whole time, affirms Paul's teaching in 2 Peter chapter 3. He says, Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. So he's saying, God, the same wisdom to teach, the same authority is given by God to Paul. And he goes on to say, you know, some of the things that Paul writes are difficult to understand. And if you read through the, the, his, Paul's letters, there's a profound, um, profound thought and rhetoric and his, his, his line of, of, of writing and his reason. But he says it's true and it should not be distorted as people try to distort other scriptures. So he's putting Paul's word online with scripture and it was, it was received as such. So what we have, the answer is, yes, we are confident that these writings that we have are the, it, this is the word of God. And we have great confidence in that. So the question is, what's it going to do to us? And we see here in verse 17 that it equips us, that this is, uh, scripture is God-breathed, it's useful, so that, verse 17, the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. There is no good work that God needs you to do or wants you to do that his word will not equip you to do. We are people who were created to do good works. That's God's, God created us good to accomplish good things, but we are very broken by sin. We've inherited a sinful nature that we uh, operate out of sin, but by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we can be forgiven of our sin. And we can be, by his grace, we are saved from our sin. But he's, it's not just saving from something. He's saving us for something. It's for good works. It's, it's to be a blessing to the world. Ephesians 2.10, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This whole experience of God isn't just for you and your own personal salvation. It's so much more than that. It's, 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 it's a healing and a salvation of your soul so that you can live out the good things that God prepared for you to be a blessing to a world, to bring light into dark places. At the end of our service, when I give the benediction, I often say, go forth and bless the world because that's our calling, saved by God's grace to do the good works and bear that fruit. And that's, the, that's what God's scripture will equip us to do. His word will equip us to do that. How? Four things. Verse 16 here. All scriptures God breathed and is useful or profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Four things. It's good for teaching. So the Bible says this is true. You can know when we study the Bible in our small groups, when, when you read it yourself, you look at it and you can understand this is true about God. This is true about life. This is true about me. And it's the standard. It's the, it's the plumb line. It is the source for true teaching. And anybody who seeks truth, who neglects the Bible, the Bible which has this amazing track record and fruitfulness of it, even a non-believer should look to the Bible uh, who's on any kind of quest for truth. Because it, it, it is true. So it shows us what is true, but it also shows us what is false. That's this rebuking. 
It's useful for rebuking uh, because we can use this to, to combat false teaching and false ideologies. That's why we pray, you know, praise God that the Bosnian people have the word of God in their language so that as they uh, experience other ideologies and ideas about how the world works and how we should live, they can know the truth and can distinguish it from what is false and wrong. It's not, it's not so much about finding other people's faults, but it, it shows us the Bible is rebuking in that it convinces us of the error of our ways. And, and then it's useful in correcting. So the Bible says this is true. The Bible tells us this is not true. And then the Bible says this is better. Here's a, here's a better way. Here's a corrected way. Straightening out and improving the condition. And it's useful for training in righteousness. So it teaches us this is right, this is wrong, this is better, and this is righteous. This is a proactive path forward that we learn through God's word so that we can live uh, truly virtuous and fruitful lives so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's what it'll do to us. So what do we do? How do we take this with us this week? In the context in which Paul, the apostle, is teaching Timothy these things. Just before these words, he said this. This is 2 Timothy 3, 12 through 15. He said, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil men and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you've learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which were able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. He's saying, look, we live in a world where if you're going to live this way, it's going to be hard. And there's bad people out there. And it's going to, it's going to go from bad to worse. And there's evil in this world. And he talks about people who are without love, who, are, who have no self-control, who are lovers of money, who are abusive, who take advantage of vulnerable people. That's the context in which these words are coming to Timothy. And we, in varied, in different ways, the way people in Eastern Europe experience the evils of, of uh, people who seek to do harm and the way we experience it may look different, but we all experience it. This week, you may even experience it, people who want to do you harm. Whether it's violence, like the, you know, we pray for the people involved in the shooting in Pelham, uh, but just people who seek to rip you off or to steal your property or, or to steal your identity or some kind of cyber crime or fraud against you or some shady business dealing or lying or difficult neighbor or whatever it is, you're going to experience it. And what Paul tells Timothy, he said, it's, that's the way the world works. It's going to be bad. You, and if you're going to live for Christ, you're going to experience it, but you have the truth. So you're not going to get dragged down by those things, but you're going to be a light that shines in the darkness. So whatever that is for you this week, you're going to cling to God's word and you're going to know the truth, even though there's discouraging and evil people around us. The, the other advantage for Timothy here, which I believe is a call for us too, is Paul says that Timothy has known these things from the time he was just a little kid. From his infancy, he knew the scripture. And it was his mother and his grandmother were faithful. And they taught him God's law. And they instilled it into him so that he had it through his whole life. 
And what a gift that is. We want our children here in this church to, to know God's word right from the very beginning. We've, we even um, have sort of, um, we're using new curriculum that's uh, even more so Bible-centered to teach our children the Bible so that they know God's word and that they have that from the time they are the youngest. And right now, we, you know, we're short-handed. We need teachers. And I, uh, if, if God puts it on your heart to, to volunteer, I encourage you to talk to Heidi Rask, who's coordinating the children's ministry right now, to, to be involved in this so that you, the youngest in our community will know God's word and be raised in it. Uh, but um, any of us who have received it, we have something to share. When, when I was, I remember I was 19 years old, I, was, I had just gotten in a lot of trouble. I was at a very low point in my life, and a mentor reached out to me and said, hey, I want to walk with you through this season. And he discipled me and mentored me in God's word. He said, we're going to study God's word. I remember he said, we're going we're gonna to read First John together, and we're going to learn you know, what is true, what is false, what is corrective, what is better, you know, what is truly righteous. And I don't remember any grand wisdom that he spoke to me, any words that he said, but I remember he brought me to God's word. And it changed my life. But there you have it. So you've been warned. Uh, there's some serious side effects to God's word. If you start reading it and meditating on it and making it part of your life, it is powerful. It will change you and it will equip you to live in a dark world. It's the, it's the very power of, of the word of God and it's that we might be a blessing then to the world for his glory. Let us pray. Father, we, um, we thank you for your word. We do not worship your word. We worship you, Lord. But you have given us this beautiful gift of of your word, that we can know who you are. We can know how to live in this world, which can be very dark, Lord. But we don't hate this world. We seek to be a blessing to it, Lord, because you are a God whose mission is to uh, redeem and save this world out of the darkness of sin and into the light of your kingdom. May we be part of that, Lord. Whatever we face this week, whatever discouragement from the world that we experience, may we cling to your word. May we know the truth and may we stand firm. And we know that you are with us. That you will never leave or forsake us until the very end of the age you are with us. And we praise you for your presence. And we thank you. We pray it all in the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.